Well, good morning, church. Yes, I love it. Love it. Thank you. So glad that all of you are here joining us this morning, whether you are here in person or online. We are so grateful that you are here joining us for worship this morning. My name is Reese Carlson. I'm the youth pastor here at Lake City. And uh, I just want to say on behalf of Allison and I, we've been here for uh, six months and we just feel so loved uh, and cared for by this church family. And uh, very honored to be able to share with you all this morning of the words that God has placed on my heart. So the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about Christmas stories, and two weeks ago, Pastor David uh, preached a sermon on the importance of living lives of hospitality as believers. And then this last week, Pastor Jim preached on the importance of how God works in unexpected ways. And now this morning, we are going to look at the story of a couple shepherds and the fact that they were the first ones to proclaim the hope of Jesus Christ. And so my question as we begin this morning is, when is the last time you heard news so good that you just had to go and tell someone about it? And for me, uh, growing up, my dream from the time I was a little kid, you can ask my parents, was to play college football. That was my dream. And so I knew that I wasn't the most gifted, I wasn't the most athletic, but I knew that if I maybe worked hard enough that one day I'd be able to realize that dream. And so I remember going to the University of Montana at their football camp when I was in high school. And I went there, I showed up, they didn't know who I was, I wasn't some big time athlete who they recruited. I showed up unannounced, went to their camp, and I had a good camp the first day. Second day, I'm uh, stretching, getting ready, and the coach walks up to me and he says, Reese, do you like University of Montana? I said, uh, yeah, I guess. And he said, well, would you like it more if I told you we had a scholarship for you? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. And uh, I remember just at that moment, like going up to my dad who's in the stands, like giving him a thumbs up. And, and I later found out my dad's like, I didn't know what a thumbs up meant. Like, I have no idea. Um, and then calling my mom on the way home from Montana and, and saying, Mom, I got a scholarship offer. Like, this is everything I've been working for. And I remember uh, her crying in tears because she just knew how hard I worked for that moment. And for me, during that time, that was news that was so good, I couldn't keep it to myself. And so I actually want to suggest this morning that is news really good news if we don't tell someone about that news? So... As we begin reading our text, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2. And so if you have your Bibles, you can pull them out. We're also going to have the words up on the screen. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14 to start with. And actually the same text that my family read uh, for lighting the Advent candle. So here we go. Luke 2, verses 8 through 14. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
So this is a, a story that many of us have likely heard before. It's one that growing up I would read with my family every Christmas Eve. We would sit around the table and maybe some of you have a similar tradition. But when I read this story this week, I started thinking about why God would use a group of shepherds to proclaim the original gospel message. Why shepherds? And at one glance, it seems like a rather random group of people to include in this story. But when you look at it and you look how God has worked in the past, including the Old Testament, God has used shepherds to proclaim his good news. Specifically, there's a, a correlation with Moses. And I want to allude to that here. In Exodus chapter 3, we read that Moses was a shepherd. And Moses's first encounter with God was also when he was looking after his flock by night. He saw an angelic appearance. And considering the fire, we are to believe that that took place in the evening, same as the shepherds. He was given a further sign that he would later worship God on Mount Horeb with the people after bringing them out of Egypt. Now compare this to, to our story in Luke. There are shepherds in Luke who are watching their flocks. And when they see an angelic appearance accompanied with the Lord, they are also given a further sign. Exodus 3.12 says, And this shall be a sign for you, talking to Moses. Back to Luke chapter 2. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's interesting that in both cases, we have shepherds keeping watch over their flock. An angel of the Lord appears, and they both are told that they are going to be given a sign and that they will later worship God. So in one sense, shepherds, while they seem like a random group of people to include, in one sense, it's not new for God. He has used shepherds before. Here in the book of Luke, of course, this messenger isn't just talking to Moses, proclaiming what he will do on Mount Horeb. He is proclaiming the good news of Jesus that'll change the course of human history. But at the same time, I have to ask, if I was playing God at this moment and I thought, okay, here comes the king of the universe, here comes Jesus. If I wanted to get this gospel message out as best as I could to as many people as possible, I'm not so sure I would tell a couple shepherds. I mean, think about it. I would want to include people who have a wide social influence, probably, so they could preach the gospel to a lot of people. I'd probably want to do it in a significant town where a lot of people gathered so that they could hear the gospel message. I, I don't think I would use shepherds. And I also am not sure if I would use Mary or Joseph or an insignificant town like Bethlehem. But as many of us know, God has never been about what is conventional. Last week, Pastor Jim preached a powerful message about God showing up in unexpected ways, specifically to Mary and to Joseph. And the same theme of unexpectedness shows up here in the Gospel of Luke. God uses insignificant shepherds to announce the most significant event in human history. We have a few insignificant shepherds, two insignificant parents, one significant town, and one very, very significant Savior. The amazing news we hear in Luke's gospel 
We as Christians are used to calling it good news. We call it the gospel. But what really does good news mean? What does that word mean? The original Greek word is euangelion, which is translated as gospel or as good news. But when the shepherds heard, when the angel appeared to them and said, I have good news, I have euangelion, it's not likely that they heard the same type of good news connotation that we do today. I read a book by Michael Green called Evangelism in the Early Church. And in that book, uh, Michael Green notes that the word euangelion was primarily used by imperial leaders of the first century. When the emperor was born, it was called euangelion, good news. When the Roman emperor Caligula, who ruled from 37 to 41 AD, it was announced that he was euangelion to the people. He was good news. So compare this message of euangelion, of the power of a Roman emperor, to the good news that the shepherds actually end up finding in the birth of an infant in a manger. It's pretty remarkable. And similarly, as Christians today, we must not confuse the good news of the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Just as the emperor promised good news in form of power, wealth, and prosperity, 2,000 years later, our world is calling us to the same form of fake good news. It's a news that promises happiness, comfort, and a perfect life. But if we're honest, that sort of good news leads us with nothing but emptiness. Church, the good news of Jesus Christ is ex the exact opposite of the world's good news. The good news of Jesus doesn't promise happiness, but it promises joy. This good news doesn't promise comfort, but it promises carrying our cross. This good news doesn't promise a perfect life, but it promises that we will find life once we surrender our own. This good news promises hope and eternal life for all who believe. Church, the world's good news is not the same as the good news of Jesus. As we continue in our passage in verses 15 through 16, we see that the shepherds go. This is their response to the angelic message. Verses 15 through 16 say, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. Notice the shepherd's response here. It's really interesting to me. There is no conversation, at least we have recorded in Luke's gospel, about, hmm, I wonder what we just saw. Wasn't that interesting? There's nothing about, hey, do you think we should leave our flock behind to, to go do this? I mean, this is kind of our, our job. Should we just leave? There's no conversation that we have recorded about, what the shepherd's initial response was other than, let us go, let us go. And I couldn't help but think that as the shepherds went off, the text actually says they moved with haste. Some translations say with speed. Whatever case, they moved quickly to go see this baby. And when they did, I couldn't help but think that they might have left their staff behind or whatever materials they used to herd their flock to go see this infant. And it reminded me of the call of the very first disciples in Mark chapter one. 
Verses 17 through 18, this is Jesus speaking, says, Come, follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, look at the disciples' response. At once, they dropped their nets and followed him. Once again, no conversation about, should we do this? Should we not do this? And the disciples, probably like the shepherds, were people who had been fishermen their entire lives. They knew one occupation, and likely their fathers before them and their fathers before them had this single occupation. This was their only source of income and their only expertise, but their reaction is to drop their nets for the shepherds to move with haste to go see the infant of Jesus. And so throughout the story of the Bible, we see men and women of great faith who set aside their agendas and occupations for the sake of the gospel. They were net droppers and staff leavers. And maybe today, this morning, where you're sitting, God is calling you to set down your net or your staff. Your net or your staff is whatever thing that you have been putting in your life in front of God. And maybe for you, it's as simple as something that you found comfort in instead of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The net in all of our lives is that thing that is preventing us from living a life fully devoted to Jesus. Similarly, like the disciples and the shepherds, we are called to be people who are net droppers and staff leavers. Because after all, we cannot pick up and carry our cross if we haven't first dropped our nets. The other unique fact about the shepherds is that they were simply available to be used by God. We noted already that the shepherds weren't of particular expertise. They weren't particularly intelligent as far as we know. It's an interesting group of people to use. But the shepherds were simply available to be used by God. And I believe that many of us have a desire to be used by God. Many of us have hearts that want to serve God and see his kingdom advance in the world. We have good intentions, but we don't make ourselves available to be used by God. Which brings us to our second point. I'm convinced that God cares less about our ability and more about our availability to be used by him. It's very easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking that, I'm not smart enough. I don't know my Bible well enough. I'm not intelligent enough. I couldn't share the gospel with someone. And I want to share a story of some of our students in our youth group. Recently, we've seen multiple students give their life to Christ. And I want to share a specific story about a couple girls. And one of those girls is Briley Kinney. And Briley said, I'm going to invite my neighbor to youth group. Her neighbor doesn't attend church. But she said, I'm going to invite my neighbor, Caitlin, to youth group. So Caitlin comes to youth group. She comes on Saturday. And then she ends up coming to small group the next Tuesday. And at small group, Caitlin says, I would love it if everyone could pray for my friend Angelise to come to know Jesus. Angelise doesn't go to church. She's not a follower of Jesus. Would you pray for my friend Angelise to come to church? And so Allison, my wife, comes home with a prayer card with Angelise's name on it which she still has, and uh, she, it says, I will, Angelise, I will pray that my friend will come to church. So Allison's telling me about how she's praying for this girl named Angelise. And later, on Saturday, I preach a message, and a girl ends up raising her hand and then giving her life to Christ. And Allison goes up to pray with her, 
and she's crying and um, Allison saying, you know, I'm so glad you made the decision to follow Jesus. What's your name? And she said, my name's Angelise. <laughs> and, and so it's the person that Allison, Allison's been praying for this entire time to come to know Jesus. We forget that God has never used perfect people. He simply used available people. People who are willing to be used by him to send out an invitation saying, God, it's in your hands. Do what you want to do. One of my football coaches often said that he wanted F-A-T athletes. And I was like, coach, you can't say that. Like, this is 2020. And he said, no, no, no. I want faithful, available, and teachable athletes. F-A-T. He said, I would always prefer an F-A-T athlete over one with pure talent or skill. A faithful and available and teachable disciple. And I can't help but think that God may want F-A-T disciples. People who are faithful, available, and teachable and ready to be used by him. As we move on in our text, the last part is that the shepherds tell. So far, they've heard the word. They've gone to see this Jesus. And the third part is that they tell about this Jesus. Verse 17 through 18 say, When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So what do the shepherds do? They draw near to the baby Jesus. And we don't know exactly what their response was to what they saw. But I can't help but believe that they were so blown away by the glory and holiness of this baby that it prompted them to go tell others about this child. The shepherds drew near to the feet of Jesus. And when they got there and marveled, they then went and told others about this Jesus. And I think that may be a good pattern for our lives as Christians. That we run, as the text says, with speed. We run with speed to the feet of Jesus. And when we get there, we sit and we marvel at him. We open our Bible. We read about him. We pray to him. And when we are filled up with his goodness and with his holiness, we then move and tell others about this same Jesus who we've encountered. The shepherds paint a remarkable picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, drawing near to him and then sharing about him. In scripture, hearing God's word and then doing something about it seems to be kind of a regular pattern that we hear. But if we're honest and if I'm being honest, I'm good at the hearing part. I'm good at reading the Bible. But when it comes to actually practicing what I'm reading or practicing a sermon that I've heard, sometimes I struggle at that piece. It's the action piece that I fail at. But when we look at uh, the Hebrew text, specifically the Hebrew translation of the Bible, I, I just want to note something really interesting. The word for hear is the same word for the word obey. So the word Shema in the Old Testament it means to hear, to listen, and to obey. So notice Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. God says, Shema, O Israel, hear, listen, obey, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. To Shema, to listen, 
is also to move in action, to do and to obey. Or consider Acts chapter 2. After Peter's sermon at at Pentecost, look what the early followers of Jesus responded with. This is their response to Peter's sermon. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Isn't that interesting? It's not a, ah, that was a great sermon, Peter. Great job. Or, yeah, I'm going to go and think about that some more. It's interesting that their response is an action-based response of what shall we do with what we've heard. And I believe that ultimately the word of God should prompt us to an action-based response. Like the shepherds who heard the word, they went to see and then they went to tell about Jesus. So as we begin to close this morning, what should our action-based response be to this word? We read about a group of shepherds who hear the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ, draw near to Jesus, and then tell others about this Jesus. What do we know? The shepherds were not remarkable, but they were available. The shepherds were people who shamad. They heard, they listened, and they obeyed. The shepherds responded in faith, not questioning the call of the angel, but going with speed to see what they had been told. And finally, and perhaps most significantly, the shepherds proclaimed the good news of Jesus. One of my favorite authors once said, most good things have been said far too many times and just need to be lived. And perhaps evangelism for the church is one of those things that we collectively just need to live together. Of course, it's not that easy. It's easy to talk about doing something and far more difficult to follow through with it. And if you're like me at all, sharing the gospel with a friend can be intimidating. I know thoughts sometimes run through my mind thinking, what will they think about me if I ask them to come to church? Can I talk about Jesus to a friend? Will they push me out of our inner circle if I tell them about Jesus? And I want to suggest this morning that perhaps rejection, judgment, or shame from sharing the gospel is better than saying nothing at all. And you may disagree and say, no, I'd much rather just say nothing, and that's understandable too. But I've learned that oftentimes saying something about Jesus is far better than doing nothing. And I learned this the hard way in high school. During uh, my high school years, my senior year, there was, uh, my friend and I used to eat lunch together every day. And uh, during one of those times, we saw a student who was sitting by himself at lunch. And we said, hey, this kid sits by himself every day at lunch. Why don't we go sit by him? So for the next couple of days and then weeks, we ended up sitting next to this kid named Eddie. And Eddie was a student with autism. And we became friends with Eddie. We'd sit with him every day at lunch. We'd see him in the hallway, give him high fives. And we had a bit of a friendship with Eddie. And then we end up graduating high school and we all go our separate ways and I lose touch with Eddie. And a couple of years ago, I get a text out of the blue from Eddie. And he says, Reese, I want you to know that I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. 
And I'm thinking, wow, you know, I, maybe my, my influence rubbed off on him, right? That's my, my first prideful thought. Wow, that's so great. But then what Eddie said next is a text that I will never forget. He said, Reese, you're a Christian. Why did you never tell me about Jesus? And the reason I'll never forget that text is because at that moment I realized I had failed Eddie as a friend. Because if I was truly his friend, I would have told him about the best news that has ever been proclaimed. And as we move forward into our next steps, I think it's only perfect that our next step as a church is to invite someone to church on Christmas Eve. Usually here at Lake City, we have multiple next steps, uh, but I thought it'd be perfect just to include one next step because I believe each and every one of us have an eddy in our lives. I believe we have someone in our family, someone we work with, a classmate, a friend, who we've been friends with for a while or we know, but we have never taken a step to invite them to church or to tell them about the gospel of Jesus. And I know that none of us want to receive a text saying, why did you never tell me about Jesus? A Gallup survey recently found that 82% of the unchurched are likely to attend if a friend, coworker, family member, or neighbor invites them to church. 82% of the unchurched are likely to say yes to an invitation to come to church. That's remarkable. Now, the other side of that is that only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. So what does that tell us? The harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. We have an opportunity to change that statistic. How cool, I, I had thought earlier, how cool would it be if this place was overflowing with followers of Jesus, of people coming to hear the gospel on Christmas Eve? Or maybe the, the Facebook page is overflowing online with, with viewers for people who are watching online. Throughout this Christmas series, we have been asking the question, what story will your life tell? This week, we each have an opportunity to write a chapter in that story by inviting someone to Christmas Eve. And at the end of our lives, in our final days, may all of us be able to say that my life told the story of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for sending your one and only son, Jesus, in the form of an infant and a manger. God, a humble birth, a humble life, lived for us, died for us, Jesus, that we may have a relationship with you and that we may spend eternity in heaven with you, God. Lord, we thank you for the hope that the shepherds proclaimed God, may we be people who set down our staffs and our nets, Jesus. May we be people who proclaim the good news of Jesus, God. Would you give us confidence to do that, even when it's hard? Would you give us strength to persevere, Lord? God, will you move us toward action? Would we be people who embrace Shema, to hear and to listen and to be obedient to your word, God? Lord, we love you, and we are thankful that we can worship in this place this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.